0: Take your Bibles, let's turn them to the text for this morning. The text will be found in Romans chapter 14. Let's stand together as we honor the Word, the reading of God's Word in His house. Romans chapter 14. We know this is Paul writing to the church at Rome, instructing them on some very practical things. And I want to take time this morning to read all of Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 23 as we'll get the sense that the Lord has for us in this passage. Romans chapter 14, Paul writing here, the Bible says in 14 and verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regards it to the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." It is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth, and he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Father, I ask your blessing on this message, Lord. Help us to have open ears. Help me to speak as you would have me to. It may all be done to your glory. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So freedom and liberty has become quite the issue lately, right? We see it all around us. It's probably on our minds to some extent. Whether it's in the news or whether it's in our own personal lives, freedom has become pretty precious. We see the trial that just wrapped up with, I think, is a good verdict, the right verdict in setting that young man free uh, for self-defense. And uh, we see many... Things like that happening in the news. We see infringements on our personal choice, uh, whether it's mask mandates or shot mandates. And whatever we may feel about that, we feel the pressure of it uh, bleeding into our own personal freedoms and our own personal choices. And, and uh, we, we, we cherish those abilities to choose freely. We cherish our personal freedoms. We, we count it as something precious to us, and, it, and we should. I think that's a good thing to to cherish and, and um, be thankful for our freedom, right? In fact, our freedom is pretty precious to us because it is something that is blood-bought. Whether we realize it or not, That soldiers, our fellow citizens, whether it be some 300 years ago or in the different world wars or past conflicts, our fellow citizens have fought and laid down their lives to not only make this nation free, but to keep it free. And that's a honorable thing and uh, of course God's hand has been in all of it but this freedom does not come at a cheap price it comes at a steep price and so we ought to cherish it. And We exercise our personal freedoms because we know the blessing of it. We enjoy our liberty here. Well as wonderful as that is we know a liberty that is greater than just this American liberty. We know a liberty that is far more uh, encompassing and not just uniquely American and that is the liberty that comes in Christ that we can be free from sin in Christ we can be free from the, the chains of sin we can be free from judgment free from the eternity in hell uh, because of our sins and all of it that comes by faith in Christ we know what true freedom is and we are thankful for His precious blood that has bought us that freedom For all who believe, all who would place their faith in Him can have that same freedom. We know of the liberty from the old way of living as we, we stop serving sin and now we, we look to serve Christ in all things. And the world doesn't understand that when we say we're servants of God. They think that's some oppressive thing, but in reality that's true freedom, isn't it? I am as free as I can be when I am serving my Lord and Savior. We place ourselves under His Word, under His leadership in in the local church and we unite with brothers and sisters here and, and we seek to serve and glorify Him in all things. Proclaiming the truth of the Scripture to the world around us and growing in grace and knowledge of Him. All of that is an immense blessing and we have that liberty in Christ. And we talked last week about the beautiful mix of the church, how we've got all kinds of walks of life here and all different experiences, all different backgrounds, and that's what makes each church unique, right? And the warning of last week in verse 1 was that we are to walk together in grace, not in arguments, because with that beautiful mix comes a, a variety of experiences and backgrounds and different viewpoints, And while we are united on the essentials of Scripture, there are other non-essential things in life, matters of discernment, that can become potential conflicts if we don't handle them right. How you feel about one thing, I may feel the exact opposite about. And if we're not careful, we can begin bickering about those things and cause conflict instead of having grace. That's what we talked about last week. Now, we're totally free to make those kind of decisions. You know that, right? We have that liberty in Christ. And we can be quick to defend that liberty, but if we're not careful, Satan can use those liberties to make conflict. So we need to be conscious and careful and gracious so that even in our personal freedoms, we can be unified in this local body. That's what Paul's talking about here it's probably best to explain just kind of as we go on. It's pretty straightforward what he says. And what I would like to do is walk through and apply this text as it's written. And then next time I want to broaden the scope to, to some areas maybe we face today that we could have a difference of opinion on, difference of feeling on, and see what the Scripture says about that. There's actually a whole lot to learn here. There's pretty important principles here that if we miss, everything's going to be off. So let's, uh, let's see what Paul says here. And first, I, I want you to notice the conflicts that were going on in the church at Rome. And that's, that's in verse 1 through verse 6. In verse 1, he says, Receive each other, but not to arguments, not to disputes over matters of discernment. Verse 2, he says, For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. And then in verse 5, he says, One man esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. There was two main issues, at least in this church, that were going on. uh, And they were matters of areas of liberty. Paul's not talking about some massive scriptural landmark doctrine here. He's talking about day-to-day things that would come up, uh, um, personal choices that were causing some conflict. And he addresses them, and I think we need to as well. The first area that was causing some conflict evidently was a matter of food, of all things. Food, what somebody ate or what somebody did not eat. And Paul lays down the distinction in verse 2. One believes he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs or vegetables. And by the way, Paul is not calling all vegetarians weak. (laughs) This is something a little bit deeper than that. And at first, uh, you you know, you you stand back, you read that. What? That's in the Bible. (laughs) That's in the Bible. (laughs) He's talking about whether somebody eats meat or not. Well, actually, it comes up quite a few places in Scripture. And it goes to show these are sinners saved by grace who still deal with everyday little small issues that can become big if we're not careful. That's why the Bible is... Amazing, in that it records the good, bad, and the ugly. And God speaks into all of it. So when we face the good, bad, and the ugly in our own hearts or in our own lives, God speaks into it. Anyways, this was a, this was a problem. And here's the deal, I think, with what was going on. And maybe two, two issues on one thing that they were dealing with. I think on the one hand, you had the Jews who had been saved Um, and and come to Christ, they were still abiding by dietary restrictions of the Mosaic Mosaic Law. So they heard heard the gospel, they were saved, they'd been baptized, and now they were serving here in this church at Rome, but they were still holding on to some things that they had been raised in. Raised in the Mosaic Law and all the dietary restrictions. It's not that bad. I mean, part of why God gave the law was for health too, not just for distinction. But he gave it for health. Hey, you eat this stuff. Don't eat that stuff and you'll be healthy. You'll be better for it. And being an Israelite, they would have been raised in the, hey, we don't eat this stuff. This is what God has given us to eat. So they would carry that life or lifestyle with them into the church. And so they were abiding by it. And There are some people who still abide by that. Hey, if you want to, fine, whatever. It's not a big doctrinal issue, right? If there's some things you want to eat, fine. If not, whatever. That's your choice to make. And evidently that was something that was going on. However, there could arise some conflict because the other half of the church was very much not that way. You had people being saved out of An idolatrous lifestyle out of a pagan lifestyle. They didn't care what they ate. (laughs) They're going to eat whatever they want, right? There's no dietary restrictions. If it's meat, it's on my plate and it's in my mouth. (laughs) Or if it's vegetables, it's on my plate, it's in my mouth, whatever. They wouldn't follow that. They didn't grow up under the law. They're going to eat whatever food is food. And if you have now a conflict that could, could arise between the two groups. One saying, hey, what are you doing eating that? You can't eat that. God said no. And the other side saying, God doesn't really care. What does it matter? Get off my back. I'm going to eat what I want. Seems silly, but silly things can turn into big things if they're not handled right. You could see where the, a problem would arise if you got people pointing fingers and say, what are you doing? God hates that or I'm going to do what I want. Leave me alone. The truth of the matter is in verse 14. Look what Paul says. I know, In Romans 14, 14, I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself. <laughs> that stuff's all been cleansed. In fact, if you want to turn with me, you can keep your finger here. We'll be back to Romans chapter 14. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 10 and something, uh, something that happens with Peter. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9 says this, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. There's a bad joke there, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Sometimes you wait long for dinner and fall asleep. Verse 11, And heaven opened, and a, certain, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him uh, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. This great vision of all kinds of animals, and Jesus tells Peter, Rise, kill, and eat, because these have been cleansed. Now, there's a dual meaning there as far as Peter was to go to all men of all nations. But I think the practical application as we read it is things have been cleansed. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. All of it has been fulfilled. The law and its restrictions are fulfilled in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. In fact, He Himself said so, right? He says, I'm not coming to abolish the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. And He did that. He has fulfilled it. He has taken out of the way the handwriting that it was against us, as the book of Galatians says. So, my belief is we can biblically eat whatever we want. And praise God, because I love bacon. (laughs) I'd just be... Outright honest about it. I believe it's been fulfilled. If someone wants to abide by the dietary restrictions of the law, praise God, do it with faith. I believe all those have been biblically cleansed. Um, that's my feeling. And we ought to be careful if we want to observe part of the law about observing, observing whole of, the whole of the law. There's scriptures on that. But this could be a conflict between people with different opinions. That's, that's the point of it, right? Now, the other aspect of this same argument would be food involved in sacrifices or dedicated to idols. So in the times of the Romans, in the times of biblical times, New Testament times, what they would do is they would use an animal for uh, uh, idol sacrifice or idol worship. They'd either use part of it and, uh, or the whole of it and sell the rest or what was used at the market at a discount. Hey, this is half off, we just used it, or we only used part of it. And so they would sell the rest of it at, at, at the market at a discount. No big deal, cheap meat at a discount price. Buy it, buy it, don't buy it, whatever you want to do It's no big deal. However, because of the mix of the church and the different backgrounds, that too, though it's a non-essential issue, could become a source of conflict, right? For the Jews observing the law, Exodus chapter thirty-four would come to mind, where the Lord says, "Hey, as you're going into this land, or you're going around these other people, tear down the altars, uh, tear down their high, their the worship, the high places of worship. Thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord is a jealous, jealous God. Destroy their altars, lest one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifice." That's what the Exodus 30, thirty-four fifteen says. They would have that in their mind. And so their act, reaction would be, no way. I'm not having any part of that. We can't eat that." And also those who would have been saved out of idolatry. Maybe the, the Romans who heard the gospel, they got saved, they joined the church, all that. They could have something in their mind, some bit of weakness as Paul will go on to explain in other places that would say, well, that's, that's kind of evil, isn't it? We're not supposed to eat that. We can't eat that. And then on the other hand, quite frankly, you got the stronger people saying, meat is meat, I'm going to eat what I want. It doesn't matter. And then you can get into the finger pointing and you did this and you did that. How could you? Don't you know? Shame on you. And now something small becomes something big. That's the first source of conflict we see going on in the Roman church. The second would be Holidays or feasts or holy days. We see that in Romans 14, 5, right? One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. And this probably had most to do with those of a Jewish heritage who would still observe the feast days as they're called out in the law. So Passover came along, they're going to partake in Passover, which, by the way, I think, that, that would probably be pretty amazing if we observed the Passover you know how rich that feast is? How much it, how much Christ is all over that? Do we biblically have to? No. But could it benefit? Sure. Why not? But there would be some of a Jewish heritage that would still observe those feasts as they came along and then they would, in turn, could question those who did not. I don't really think Paul would encourage Christians to partake in the holiday celebrations going on in the pagan world at that day. <laughs> I don't think he's going to encourage them to, to go out there and get part of it. May I say that there are some holidays that we as Christians really have no business being part of. And however you just heard that statement is going to exactly illustrate the issue going on at Rome. You could say, Amen, we shouldn't. Or what's the big deal? There you go. 2,000 years ago, the church at Rome dealing with the same thing. You see, humanity's not new. We we still have the same old sins, the same old shortcomings. What matters is how we handle it biblically, right? Okay. Those two areas are the sources of conflict, and they might seem silly to us. They might not, but the potential is there. And Paul gives some pretty good advice. Look in Romans 13.3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. We shouldn't be despising each other's differences and condemning. If each one can stand on their own convictions, then God accepts it. Who are you, verse 4, to judge another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. In verse 5, he says, Let every man be fully persuaded. He that Verse 6, He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, for he giveth God thanks. Let each one be fully persuaded in their own mind. If they're settled in their opinion and they're serving God in it, then it's good to go. Which does not apply to all subjects, let me just say, but... All that to say, Paul is saying basically stop fighting, stop bickering, stop judging over these small things. Then he takes a step and he's going to start getting to the root of the issue. And here is where we need to start listening closely. Yeah, we got some personal liberties in Christ. We have some personal freedoms. But is that what it's all about? Is your Christianity all about you? Is it all about me and what I can do for me and my wants and my desires? If that's so, let me just say right from the get-go, you're way off track. And Paul's going to tell us so. Verse 7. None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You've heard that phrase, no man is an island, right? We're kind of talking about the same thing. It's true. What we do have a What we do or do not do affects others. The choices we make has an impact on those around us. Whether we like to think so or not. We need to understand that. The choices that I make, the the lifestyle that I live, the words I choose to say, the attitudes that I choose to have, every choice that I make really impacts those around me. I have the freedom to choose to do whatever I want. I can do whatever. I can act however way I want. But understand that's going to impact some people. You have that choice. You can hear the gospel and believe it or not. That's your choice. Whosoever will, let him come, right? Do you think your choice to reject the gospel, not only is it going to impact yourself eternally, but will it impact those around you who have been praying for you and want to see you saved and want to see you come to Christ? Your choice to reject that is your choice to make, but it will impact others. We can come to church and be baptized and give our lives to serving Him and we can be an active part or we can just choose to walk away. You have that freedom and you're free to make that choice. Do you think that choice will impact others? Sure it will. You can live how you want. We have that liberty but we need to understand, yes, we have that liberty, but our choices will impact others around us. We need to realize that how you and I exercise our freedoms can have actually at times damaging effects on one another. They can have good effects, but they can also have damaging effects. Fighting over them can cause damage. In fact, look what verse 20 says for meat or because of meat, over meat, do not destroy the work of God. Yeah, it can destroy some things. Fighting over it or bickering over that. It does us good to realize something, that we are not just here to act on our own pleasure. We are in communion with one another in the body. It's a body, remember? And if my hand starts... Choosing to do some crazy things on its own is going to affect the rest, right? You've had twitches. You ever been laying in bed and one arm goes this way or you kick? I've done that sometimes. My wife does that right before she, I know she falls asleep because one leg, boom, it's just her. That's how God made her. I don't think she really says I'm going to do this right now. Boom, it just happens. Well, that affects others around her, affects the rest of her body. You get the point. You, you've experienced this, right? Well, if we we could have that kind of attitude, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what anybody else says. Well, it's going to have an effect. No man lives unto himself. No man dies unto himself. In fact, we've got a higher calling. Look, verse 7 again. None of us liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. Verse 8, for whether we live, we live to the Lord. And whether we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. You see how he just upped it? He just took it beyond... Uh, our immediate focus to what it's all about, we are His. We are Christ, bought by His blood, purchased by Him. We're not living for ourselves anymore, but we're living for Him, to proclaim Him, to make Him known so that others may come to know Him, to to glorify Him. The main concern is no longer to do what I want, but to glorify Him. And it seems most Christians, most professing Christians today have forgot that. It's more about the shopping list of what they want to do and what they can get away with rather than how can I glorify God in all things. Whether I live or die, it's unto Him because I am His. Not to be caught up in our own self-righteousness, but in His grace. Is all that we do for Him? Can you ask yourself that question this morning? Everything I do, every choice I make, is it for Him? Verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. I love that phrase. He is the Lord. Now. Got to be careful because there's a lot of talk about lordship, salvation, and people have kind of gone off the deep end, I think, with that, but not only is Christ our Savior, but we must place him at the head of our lives as Lord. Is he yours? Like king of all. Not just one hand-picked corner of your life. Jesus, you're Lord when I go to church. And we're going to be fine and we're going to be good. Other than that, it's off limits and stay out of my business. Don't get all up in my TV room. Don't get all up in my phone room. You stay in that corner and we're good. And you're Lord and praise you. Or is He Lord of all of it? All the thoughts, all the decisions. Do we seek to please and glorify Him in all things, not looking for loopholes to see what I can get away with in the Bible? He is Lord. I'm not. At least I shouldn't be. And I wonder if I'm too busy either looking down on others for a different opinion or too busy looking for ways to defend my own stance rather than looking for ways to glorify Him as Lord in all my decisions, my thoughts, my words, my actions. Verse 10, let's move along. Verse 10 says, Why do you judge your brother, or why do you set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And that's often used in a defense like Matthew chapter 7. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Stay off me. Well, listen, Paul says here, don't condemn each other. And we shouldn't because each one has to answer to God. I'm not your Lord. I'm not your judge. God is. And so the decisions that you make, you answer to him ultimately, right? They can affect other people, but ultimately we answer to him, right? Same with my decisions. And I'm not the faith Baptist police forcing everyone to view the same things, view things the same as I do. Although as pastor, I probably should say, hey, it would be a good idea if we we all looked at this and considered it together. But I'm not here to force everybody to think the same way I do. We have that personal liberty. And ultimately you answer to God, which is the other side a warning. You answer to God. I answer to God. Are we able to stand with a clear conscience in all that you do? Is He Lord in all of our decisions? So Paul says, don't judge. Stop bickering. Leave them be and have grace as we grow together in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he lays the hammer down. And for our remaining time together this morning... I want you to see this is some people will read all that we've read up to now and say, see, I can do what I want. You hush. Stop talking to me about what I should and shouldn't do. I'm good. God is my judge. Only God can judge me. I have freedom, man. Leave me be. Mind your own business. We do get like that sometimes, don't we? Well, yeah, Paul's going to throw all that out the window. And These next verses are the thrust of this whole conversation. In personal liberty, in how we interact with one another, they have to be, because if you leave them out, we're failing. We're failing to see what God would have us to understand. We're failing each other, we're failing Christ. In many ways, the true essence of Christian liberty, and I'm I'm talking not just the liberty from sin, the liberty from from hell and all that Christ has saved us for. I'm talking about in our everyday life. The true essence of Christian liberty is that I have the liberty not to do some things. I have the, the liberty to choose not to use my liberty. Does that make sense? Let's look at verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Paul says instead of judging each other for what they do or do not do, he says, How about you zoom in? How about you scrutinize? How about you pay really close attention to this? Don't cause your brother to stumble and fall. You're so concerned with what they had for dinner last night. You're so concerned with what they may be observing or not observing. You've missed the point. And that's love and grace. Don't cause your brother to fall. You may be able to eat whatever. But if that freedom of yours really offends your brother, as in it grieves him or it causes him hurt, like legitimate, not, oh, I'm offended. Snowflake millennial attitude that so many people have. Some people just flat out got to grow up. I'll just say that. (laughs) But I'm talking about if it's something that causes offense and hurt, don't. Don't do it. You didn't have to do it in the first place. You don't have to do it now. You have the liberty to choose not to. You have the liberty to step back and say, you know what? Because that could cause harm. I'm not going to do it. I could cut my hair in a mohawk and stand up here and preach. The Bible didn't say anything about that. But that just might offend some people. (laughs) So you know what? I don't do it. Seems something silly. Could a church fight over a pastor with a mohawk? Sure they could. Something silly can become something big. So you know what? Instead of of asserting my Christian liberty, I can do it. You guys hush. No. Okay. I'm not going to cause a stumbling block. I'll take the road of grace and love rather than um, selfishness at times, right? Right? Don't make it all about you, Paul says. The kingdom is so much more than that. Look in, in verse eighteen, in verse 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things not meat and drink, I don't think he's talking about that. He's talking about in righteousness and peace and joy. He that serves Christ in righteousness and peace and in joy is acceptable God and proved of men. That is what will never offend someone, a brother or sister in Christ, When you're serving in peace, in joy, and in righteousness. Paul says, follow after those. Follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. Rather than pursuing the validation of our personal liberty, let's set aside some things in love. Our time is growing short, but would you track with me quickly? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is really big in Scripture, actually. And Paul addresses not only the church at Rome here head on with it, he addresses the church at Corinth. This issue of food and idle meat and all that, it was, it was a big deal. Bigger than I thought. But again... In reality, it's something small. A piece of meat is a piece of meat. and We're going to read that here in a couple of seconds. It's nothing. But how people feel about that piece of meat can cause conflict in the church. And Paul says, rather than going down the road of conflict, just stop. Stop and step back. And you don't have to be at liberty to grill it up and eat in front of the person who feels something different about it. No, you can just let it be and go on your way. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Look what he says. We're going to move quickly, but I think it's pretty self-explanatory. First Corinthians chapter eight and verse one says, "Now as touching things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge." I would put in parentheses as Paul says, "But be careful; knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth." We may have a certain feeling, and we may have biblical stance on it to back it up. But rather than beat our chest and say, oh, you fool, let me tell you why I can do this or that. That puffs up. What does love do? Edifies. It builds the other up rather than self. We have the knowledge. We know what this is all about. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. Verse 2, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So much there. Love. If we know love and the love of God, we know what we need to know. Along with His truth that He has revealed, but all of it in love, right? Verse 4, as concerning, therefore, the sacrifice of those things that are offered in. Verse 4, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and there is no other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods, many or lords, many. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. There are no idols. The idols are nothing. There is only one God. Verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol under this hour, eat it as as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. You see what Paul just said? The meat doesn't matter. Eat it or don't, the idol is nothing. But not everybody sees it that way. And though you have the liberty to eat it, don't let that liberty become a stumbling block or cause somebody else to doubt. For verse 10, If any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Whoa, whoa! That's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? When you sin against the brethren and you cause them to stumble, even if it's by your liberty, if you cause somebody to stumble, you're not just sinning against them, you're sinning against Christ. Yeah, it matters the choices we make. Wherefore, verse 13, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. That's Paul's conclusion. If that causes an issue, I will not do it if it makes my brother fall. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, and verse 23. We'll be done in just a few minutes, but I want you to see these things. 1 Corinthians ten twenty three, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me. I can do what I want, but all things edify not. Maybe we have some liberties. Are they expedient and edifying? We'll, we'll dive into that next message. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that's the meat markets, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto the idols, eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judge of another man's conscience? For if I be by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offence, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, seeking mine. Not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. You see that? He says you're free to eat with a free conscience, but we ought to be mindful of others in exercising that personal liberty. That's what he says in verse 29. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. Concerned with how this may affect somebody else. Giving no room for someone to speak evil. Giving no offense. Why? Ultimately, the goal, as Paul says, I do... I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but I seek their salvation. I don't, want to seek a, I don't want to seek to put a stumbling block between someone else and Christ, whether it be for their salvation or for their sanctification. I don't want to be that stumbling block. You see, there's some more important things in our lives than our personal liberties, isn't there? Back to Romans and we'll finish up. Romans 14 and verse 20. He says, For meat or because of meat, do not destroy the work of God. All things are pure, and it is evil for the man that eateth with offense. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is, neither, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Let us not destroy the work of God. Let us not destroy the local church fighting over non-essentials and your opinions or my opinions and discernment on them. Instead, verse 21 is the goal of this whole conversation. It's not good either to eat flesh or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble or become offended or be made weak. Period. Like, why don't we just try to follow that? Because if we did, it would probably be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> We'd have a lot less conflict if I had that kind of a mindset rather than a me, 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 I, I, I want to do what I want to do mindset, which is infected most people today. Let it go if we have to. But, but the Bible says I can, but, but I'm free to, but I, I, I'm assured. Verse 22, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself and the thing in which he allows. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Have it to yourself rather than causing a potential conflict. We can be fully persuaded and fully assured and we can stand before God with a clean conscience in the choice we make. And I, I'm not saying like a self-justified because I like it choice. I'm talking we could have a biblically sound justification. Great Someone else might not be there. You understand that? They might not understand that. They might be still growing in the faith or have things in their background or past experiences. And your liberty or my liberty could cause doubt or sin or damage in that other person. Paul says, you know what? Just don't do it. Instead of judging, instead of disputing, instead of recklessly doing whatever I want just because I have the liberty in Christ, I think I need to also realize I have the liberty to not exercise my liberty so I don't cause somebody else to stumble. Does that make sense? I have the liberty to not exercise my freedoms in Christ so that it doesn't cause somebody else to stumble. That's the message here. I think that's the heart of this chapter, Romans 14. Stop bickering, have some grace and love, and seek to edify one another, not tear each other down. And he tells that to the Roman church and he tells us today. And I'll say again, I've seen way too many churches, way too many relationships, even lives destroyed over small things, not doctrinal fights. Remember last, last sermon? That's a whole other subject. I'll go toe-to-toe with anyone on the deity of Christ or salvation by grace through faith. Anytime. And that's what we're commanded to do, right? I've seen far less church problems over big things and far too many over small, silly things that grow into big things. So how about we don't do that? How about we take it up a notch and act in love in our liberty? In fact, Paul puts it perfectly in the next section, and I just want to read that and we'll close. Verse 1 of chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. I know this could open up some questions, this whole conversation, this whole passage. And maybe we're thinking, well, what about this or what about that? Well, I want to walk down a few of those paths next time we're together. But we have to grasp the foundation here. Yeah, I'm free, but it's not about me anymore. He is the Lord of all. I'm to glorify Him and I am to edify my brothers and sisters in Christ here. I need to live in love and grace for those around me. And I would simply ask, is that in place in your life today? Is that how your heart is when it comes to some of these things? Maybe it's time we start thinking more along those lines rather than my wants, my desires, where it's all about me. Do we seek to edify one another and not place a stumbling block in each other's lives? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank You for this day, for the very practical instructions You give us in Your Word, Lord, as we let this settle in our hearts. Help us to have hearts of grace and hearts of love, hearts of selflessness for our brothers and sisters, that I might look within my own heart, do I have that mindset, that heart attitude in place that I would seek the good of others rather than my own freedoms. I ask that you take these words and move among us as only you can, do the work only you can do in our hearts, even as we come to a time of invitation. Draw as you see fit, Lord, I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.